Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm the Gnarly Gnome. This is Cincy Brewcast, the voice of Cincy Craft, and this episode is probably the finest example of why I am a terrible, terrible podcaster, why I have failed you all as listeners because I have never done a show here, and you guys have been open for, what, three Three years? going on four. That's insane. Yeah. I, like, I... I really am a failure for not making it out here. I, I, to my defense, it does take me an hour to get from my house to the front door here. So I have some kind of an excuse, but uh, sons of toil. Um, this was one of those places that when I heard it was coming in, I was excited for it. Um, the area needs beer. Clearly there are lots of people that love craft beer around here. Um, but it could have gone either way. You could have had a really great spot, which you, you do spoiler alert. Um, and, and done things really great. Or it could have just been kind of a, a mediocre, you know, just a place that makes their own beer and it's whatever. Because there's nothing else around here, you could have done wonderful with, you know, half-ass beer and a half-ass space and you would have been fine. I'm impressed at the way this place has uh, grown and developed and the liquid that is coming out of this building. So before we get into anything, congratulations on that. <laughs> and thank you for that. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Let's run around the table. Everybody introduce yourselves. Tell people uh, who you are and kind of what you do here and um, let people hear your voice. Okay. I'm Dave Carraway, a part-time brewer in the old days. I used to brew a lot, but we've since hired a guy and you'll be hearing from him. But uh, brewer, owner, and just jack of all trades. My name is John Carraway, son of Dave Carraway, and I try and run everything. Um, we're currently putting in a kitchen, um, take care of the schedules, you know, all the day-to-day um, recipe formulation. We still have a heavy hand in that. We rely on him a lot, too. Um, but, yeah, just keep moving things forward. Right. And I'm uh, Nate Payne, and I'm the brewer. So, I... Uh, Retired from the Navy and went to Cincinnati State for brewing science, and they graciously took me on as my co-op and kept me on board for... Yeah, wouldn't let them go. (laughs) (laughs) We've realized that this frees us up to do so many other things. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um, Before we get into anything, I want to drink a beer because it was, like I said, a very long drive to get here, and I'm very thirsty. So, um, From the beer fridge. My favorite part of the show, from the beer fridge. You guys graciously brought me a little flight here. Uh, Where do you want me to start? And we'll just kind of work our way through as the show goes on. I would would start with the Goza. Uh, Nice and light and refreshing, and uh, our newest beer on tap. So yeah, we, is this straight Goza or is this? It's a Margarita Goza. Margarita so. Goza. Oh, yeah, so this, uh, perfect week for it. Yes. <laughs> this was for our Cinco de Mayo. We had a big t-shirt release and uh, one of the busiest Wednesdays we've ever had yesterday. That's the sound of me drinking for anybody that doesn't know. <laughs> That's great. So it's not over the top and kind of in your face, which is really easy to do with both Goza as a style and you say you're going to do it as a margarita, um, that still lets the the base beer kind of show through and super refreshing. And there's definitely some lime popping in there. And, and that's that's nice. Yes. Lemon lemon and lime. And then the base goes in. Fantastic. And Real. we also put in a tequila barrel. So Real subtle. It's hard to get, but yeah, it's yeah, definitely there. Kind of like the, 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 the little bit of tannic kind of yeah. thing in the background, too. Yeah. Yep. Um, really good. That's that's like goes back to that state. You don't have to make beer this good, and yet here we are. It, it fascinates me. It uh, makes me proud um, to be in a city like Cincinnati. That kind of I don't know if the city itself forces you to kind of step up your game. Um, I don't know. I, I this this is this is amazing. This is really well done. Thank, Thank you. you. Let's talk about the story a little bit. Um, because this is our first time doing a show here, we get to kind of roll through everything. How did this happen? How did this decision come about where you said, you know what, we want to make a, a craft brewery in Mount Oreb? <laughs> well, we were big brew cationers, right? We sure. went everywhere and uh, went to every brewer that we could find. And a lot of other beer that we drank was in Florida. And there was a guy down there named Greg Rapp, uh, Rapp Brewing, and he brewed everything in 50-gallon little plastic tubs. And, uh, and he had, you know, it's like 40-some on the board. So that was the impetus for our what, what our tap room looks like as far as 
you know, 24 on the board. We've kept it there and uh, gives us a lot of variety that we can, we can plug and play and, and people are still happy. But um, that was a lot of the motivation um, with how many beers we wanted to have. We, ha- we wanted to have a, the palate for everybody. So if right. you, you look at our board, we try and capture both sours, lagers, malty. Um, we got ciders. We got IPAs. And something that I've found a lot going to a lot of different breweries, um, you know, you get a red ale and it tastes like a red ale IPA kind of deal. And we, yes. we really try and turn that, that down. <laughs> um, but really how we got here as a brewery, beyond the motivation and the inspiration from other places, it goes back 20, 30 years for him brewing. He couldn't buy good beer when he was younger. Yeah. So he started making it himself. I, would be, I was seven years old, like corking wine bottles and capping beer bottles, helping my dad out <laughs> in the side room. And then when I went to college, I kind of took on brewing and I really, really liked it. Um, I like to tell people, you know, they wouldn't sell you beer, but they'd sell you the ingredients to make it. <laughs> yes, we, some of us are very familiar with that concept. <laughs> and uh, so we started brewing on the weekends. And then you know how that goes. You're brewing on the weekend. Then you start drumming up all these ideas of what if, you know, the beer's getting pretty good. All of his friends liked it, you know. You're giving me these flashbacks of, you know, college age and, you know, going into Listerman's and Dan being there behind yeah. the resume. Now, boys, don't make beer out of this, okay? <laughs> no, sir. Of course not. <laughs> And then he can talk about the basement and his friends and, you know, all the brewing we used to do down there. Well, the thing was, they drank it and said it was great when it was free. Sure, but sure. when you have to pay five bucks for it, you know, that's when we knew we'd made it when they actually paid for it. So That's still a, it's still a very large jump, though. As, uh, as a home brewer, no matter how great of a home brewer and how, how much you're into the hobby, to decide, we're going we're gonna to do this. We're going we're gonna to really... Um, jump into this head first. Uh, how did that decision happen? <laughs> well, I'll take that one. So we would drive around, property would come up, and we always knew we wanted it to be in Mount Orb because Mount Orb was a place that had a lot of people, and not just people that live here, but people that come from all over because it's like the rural hub here with the biggest right. Kroger around and you know a lot of fast food, different restaurants, stuff like that, and there was really nothing else around here to do. So we always knew it would be a decent spot. But we could never find the right place. It was always too small or it was in town. And if you're going to have a brewery out in the country, why would you want to be in town? Right. Every other brewery's in town. And one day, my, uh, one of my best friends is a realtor. He called me and said, hey, there's a piece of property. It's about three acres off of Klein, right off the highway. You should go check it out. Easiest sale he ever had because he didn't even show it to me. We came out here, walked around. And he basically told me to do it or get off the pot, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and so we're like, all right, we put a bid in and it was, the rest was history. Yeah. I, I mean, it is a perfect spot for a brewery. You are out in the country. You sit out back here and it's, you're looking at the woods and it's, you know, quiet. But then you are right off of 32. So it's not hard to get to. It's, you know, it is a little bit of a drive depending on where you live, but it's not a hard drive. And uh it, easy to get to it's easy to find right um was there a fear and um clearly now we know the answer but when you decide to open something like this in a place like mount orib that you're just going to get a bunch of folks that want to drink bud light and get angry that that's not what this is we still get asked what the closest sure. thing to bud light well, is, I mean, but, I'm, but i'm sure that happens even at rheingeist you know like that, oh, that, that is a, that's a normal thing but um there is a stereotype that you know when you get out to you know more rural areas that's all people drink there's a lot of education with our customers as they come in and, and we've been here long enough now to where you know we've had people that came in and they started with the Kolsch because it was the closest thing. And now they're drinking horny handed and they're drinking these IPAs and it didn't take long for them to make that jump. Right. So, I mean, that's also the advantage, I guess, of having 24 beers on tap that, you know, as people kind of venture out a little bit, you have those things to kind of ease them into it. I, Yeah. But to answer your question, absolutely. We were kind of terrified. I mean, with anything, when you're putting that much money and resources and time into it, and, you know, when you're first getting ready to open, you don't know how many people are going to show up. And, yeah, it was definitely scary. <laughs> <laughs> there was, you know, so when you guys opened your doors, uh, Old Firehouse was open. There was there was a little bit of a glimmer that you could see that there definitely were people who were looking for breweries in this area. It wasn't, uh, wasn't a complete shot in the dark. You know, you it was... It's very true. There was a, there was a sign that, you know, <laughs> it was ready to be... Um, 
ready to be uh, tapped into for uh, a bad pun. Um, what is long-term goals of what this place is supposed to be? Um, I'm sure that's kind of shifted and changed a little bit in the last few years, as you guys have seen um, how people feel about the beer and um, how even people, you know, on the other side of town are desperate to get a hold of it. Um, how do you kind of direct where this, uh, where this grows and how it grows with that in mind? I would say destination brewery is a big term that I could put out there is what we want to become. We're, we always kind of have that a little bit now mm-hmm. being where we're at and all the space. But, you know, we're going to put food in. We eventually want to have a warehouse. I think we're going to concentrate more on barrel aging and some of the higher-end products in the beer market, not mass distribution. That's not something I think we'll ever get into. Um, and eventually, I know he laughs at me, but I'd love to find a way to get places for people to stay somehow, whether mm-hmm. it be a little bit of property, some camping setups, Airbnbs awesome. around town, cool. something that way, you know, people drive a long way. Now, you know, they got some place to stay. And that's very far into the future if it was ideal, basically. Right. I mean, but. I'm not above just walking back into those woods and setting up a tent and <laughs> yeah. just not telling anybody. And uh, <laughs> Yurts. Yeah. <laughs> and we also really want to do an event center. So um, there's we put in a big tent. I don't think you were able to see it yet. But uh, for COVID right. and all that, we got a tap room, decent size, but it got cut by like 60%. So in the summer, it was fine. As you can see, we got plenty of space. Everybody was really far apart. No big deal. But once fall started coming around, we were freaking out a little bit. So we built that tent. And now we're getting people calling all the time. Just birthday parties, bridal showers, you name it. And it's people like to be at a brewery for stuff like that for whatever reason. It's funny how like when when things like that happen and then COVID is, you know, a very unfortunate good example of that of, where you're kind of forced to try things that you wouldn't have done otherwise. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden it makes a whole bunch of sense. And they're like, Oh, we should, we should roll with this in a different way, you know? And then mm-hmm. kind of like it, it, it really does kind of shape different directions that the brewery can go. Um, when you talk about being a destination brewery, which I think you definitely are uh, maybe more for people like me that it takes an hour to get here. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, how, how do you, how do you, convince people who may live an hour away to come out here when they have to drive past. I don't, I mean, I, I should probably have mapped it out and done the count of how many breweries I have to drive by to get here. Um, how do you, how do you convince them when maybe it is harder to, to try your beer around? Well, the, the beer uh, we, we, you know, come for the beer for sure. That's the number one thing. We have a lot of events, especially on our Saturday mornings, we have a farmer's market and sometimes we'll have live music and it's, you come out, you don't just come out for an hour or so. You right. can not stay, you can hang out. We see people spreading blankets over here in the woods, under the trees and the kids are playing. They bring the dogs, you know, that kind of thing. Right. So that's, that's a reason to come from another part of town to do just not spend an hour or so. It's, it's really important. I think in my opinion, you know, uh, if you consider yourself a craft beer fan to just make the effort to go to as many places as possible. Take a weekend and on a Saturday, just go somewhere. Don't hop around to nine different places. Just go to one place, dive in and, and, and figure out what that place really is and how it kind of meshes with you as a drinker. And just, just then next week can do another one and then so, another one. So as that, it, our beer talks numbers. But when I first started here, there was a guy from Dayton. And then there was a guy from Toledo. I'm like, why are they driving all the way out here? You know, I just started, you know, I'm like, and then we started, I started drinking the beer out here. I started making the beer out here. And it's like, I get it. You know, you, you find that one place that just has that beer you want. 24 taps helps us with that. And they, you know, people come out for, I really like that. I like the brown. I'm I'm coming for the brown. And they coming from Toledo. How many brewers are they passing there? (laughs) Well, and not just the beer, it's the atmosphere and the people here. So one of the biggest compliments I get from a lot of our regulars and people that just love this place with a passion and they're out there convincing other people to come out here word of mouth. It's, it's really a, a blessing for us how good of a crowd we really have and how good of customers we have. 
but I got to give a lot of credit to our staff, the owners, everybody's always friendly. It's, you feel like that Southern town kind of feel where everybody's happy and friendly and waving and smiling. It's just a really enjoyable atmosphere when you're here. Friends, family. Yeah. It's it's the family environment. What is a very different, not that other places aren't friendly around town, but like Mm -hmm. it, it is a very different type of atmosphere when you walk into a place like this versus a Rheingeist or a Madry or a place like they're great places, but it's just very different. And like, I think that that's, it's really hard to do when you open a brewery to create something that is different than what other people have done. And you know, it's, you know, hats off to you guys for, being able to be different just by who you are without having to try to manufacture it and kind of create yeah. something that is different from some kind of gimmick because that's sometimes what you have to do. Yeah. We have one brewer from Dayton that comes out on the weekend and he camps at East Fork. And so he's here like three nights, you know, he'll come and just spend the weekend with his wife and, and uh, it, it's, you know, that's the kind of thing you can do. That's why when John talks about, you know, having a place where we have camping or something right. like that, you know, it just made sense that, that we would have something like that. And, just, and East Fork's a beautiful place. It's only yeah, 15 great, minutes away. Great campground. They're putting so. in a little uh, little food truck kind of park thing right there, right over by the park. There's This area is not necessarily um, the other end of the universe. I mean, it's kind of the other end of the universe, but it's, it's worth it to come out. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. Some really great stuff. And, you know, you've got... Um, some some major uh, manufacturing coming into the area with yeah. Purina and like uh, there are a lot of people that are going to be out here and a lot of people that may want to have a beer before they go home and deal with their small children or whatever. Maybe not. <laughs> I love my kids, but yeah. Um, let's drink another beer. Yeah. Uh, what's next? Well, um, we're we're just gonna go down the line there. The, the coconut rum porter. Um, we. Yeah. So is this rum barreled? Yeah, this is one that I've I've wanted to do for a long time, and for some reason we finally decided, hey, now's the time. And it, it's one of those inspirations you get from food, and <laughs> I don't know how everyone else comes up with their beer, but a lot of times we think of food. God, that is good, and I call it the chocolate rum cake. Oh dear God, <laughs> that is fantastic. <laughs> um, so um, Narrow Path has their coconut porter, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. And I always give them credit because there aren't many great coconut porters around. It's really hard to make coconut not taste like sunscreen. <laughs> um, this goes in a little different direction with it. Yeah. And it really does kind of taste like a, like a cake or some kind of delicious cocktail dessert something. Man, that is really, really, really well done. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I could drink a lot of that. What's the ABV on that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's, uh, that's, I think it's 8.2. 8.2. Yeah. That's yeah. a dangerous one, especially yeah. you get a day like this where um, it's been a long day and um, it's a little rainy outside and it's kind of cloudy and you just want to kind of sit and drink something a little heavier. Yep. <laughs> that is that is fantastic. Thank you. Um, so you, you talked about um, how recipe formulation has kind of shifted as you've brought other people in here, obviously. Um, how does that process go? Is it, uh, um, is it still very collaborative? Do you all kind of sit down with ideas? or um, So a lot of the beers on tap are, are Dave's recipes, original recipes, you know, from homebrewing days. Um, there are a few that, you know, I brought into the, the deal. Um, like John said, he... You know, this is one he wanted to do a lot of or wanted to think about. And we will. We'll sit down and, you know, if it's a recipe I want to make, like the Goza, I'll sit down, I'll make the recipe, and then we'll sit and we'll talk about it. How are we going to get the flavors we want? Yep. Um, and then John, you know, he made he made the porter recipe and like, okay, how are we going to get the chocolate in? How are we going to get the, the rum in there? How are we, you know, and all this. And so we, we will. We'll work on them together. And even nowadays, I'll be brewing one of their recipes and be like, hey, this process is, you know, what if we change this or what if we change that? Right. So, and it's never, it's never just one person, even though I say, Oh, I've always wanted to do a coconut rum cake. Um, I I might create the initial recipe and then we'll all look at it. We'll make tweaks like, yeah, maybe we got a little too much of that. Maybe we'll reduce this or add a little bit of that, you know, whatever it is. And like the Margarita Goza, um, I came to Nate and I'm like, Hey, mom had a great idea. And that's who came up with the idea. She's like, we want to do this thing for Cinco de Mayo. Can we do something like margarita, lemon, lime? And he's been wanting to do a Goza forever. 
we just kept telling him no. <laughs> and so I'm like, hey, Nate, here's your Goza. And he did the base recipe, got the grain bill and everything. And then me and him sat down and we really honed in on the fruits and how we get that lemon lime and whether or not we add tequila to it or tequila chips to it or not. And we originally wanted to do a barrel, but we couldn't find one. So right. we opted for the chips. And then he's I'm just always, a tiebreaker. Yeah, <laughs> not just a tiebreaker, but we always sit down with him and he always looks at it and makes sure that there's nothing that, you know, pops out at him as something that is against what we're trying to do. Right. And so always is very much collaborative at the end of the day. Is it hard not to, uh, not to let the ego kind of kick in a little bit and be like, this is the way I really want this to be, um, from, from either of you guys or, or from, you know, I, I mean, I guess it sounds like you're able to say that. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm in agreement with what, the, what the col- collaboration comes up with is always good. And, and I just, I, you know, you drink beer, you drink a lot of beer. And for me, not everywhere, but some places, there's, there is some little thing about all their beers that right. I don't like. And I don't know why that is. But um, that's one thing I will say about our beer. I think that overall, there's a, a nice, we keep try to keep the extracts out. There's things that we do, I think, that keeps it, you know, clean. Right. I, I'm a bit of a control freak, I think. Like, that's uh, my struggle with um, anytime I'm working with other people. If there's something in my head that I know a way that I want it, I want it that way. And I can, <laughs> I just can't stand it, like, drifting away from that. And I, I can't, I, you know, even if you guys weren't um, coming at this from a collaborative, you know, uh, approach, when things are, you know, on tap and then you, you see somebody online or oh, this one sucks, it's like, that I, I don't know that I could handle that. <laughs> That's so, what I blame them. And so, yeah. <laughs> but, but then that, that collaborative aspect, if I have something in my head that I'm like, this is exactly the way I, I want this to be. I, um, when something comes up like that and, you know, as the brewer, I come out and I talk to people, you know, and that's what kind of makes it the family environment for me, at least is I get to come out and talk to the customers and see what they're liking about right. the beers, what they're not liking about the beers. And I put that all in the, you know, the file and I, I'm like, okay, why is that person getting this flavor when they should be getting these flavors? And, you know, with the school at Cincinnati State, I learned a lot about, you know, the flavor profiles and the tasting and, right. and everything else that I wasn't in tune with before. And so I'll take on that, those arguments of the beer and I'll be like, okay, I see that. Okay. What can I do? It's not an off flavor. It is isn't off, you know, I, and I file it all in and then I look at the recipes as we go and make the suggestions to them about, hey, maybe we should look at this. Maybe we should change this. As far as a, uh, I think there's different personalities that uh, that get into the business and, and, and make beer, especially there's, um, you know, there's the science geeks, there's the uh, the artsy-fartsy kind of people that just want to create something. There's, you know, the, the tinkerers that just like to build a, a brew house and keep tweaking at it and don't really care about the beer that much. There's very distinct types of personalities you can pick out when you when you talk to people in breweries. Um, how do you classify yourself if you had to? If I had to, ha- you I would to. say a pleaser. <laughs> I want to please everybody. I want somebody, I don't want somebody to come in and not and walk away. Person. Yeah. I want them to walk away enjoying at least one of the beers. Right. If I can't get them to enjoy a beer, I look for something that will bring them back. That's, I mean, that's kind of the way I look at it. I, what a, I, I, I mean, I, and that's really just my, my thought process on it. I, right. I like making things and seeing people enjoy those things. And if somebody's not enjoying it, then I'm like, why? What, what are you looking for? What, what flavors do you like? What beers do you like? What, you know, and I, and I'll question. Right. So what about you guys? He's a jack of all trades. He's definitely someone who's in the engineering tinker um, <laughs> aspect yes, of it very much, but he also has, he's one of my go-tos when it comes to the grain side of things. He just mastered that early on. He's got a knack for it. So I, I never question him when it comes to looking at grain bills, different things like that. And then my background's more science. Um, I got my degree in env- environmental science, took a lot of chemistry and microbiology, things so like a that. Geek. <laughs> <laughs> a little yes. bit, but I also come from, you know, working with him on the farm, good with right. my hands. And so, like yesterday, we were pulling wire for a new three phase power. Um, but yeah, that's when 
I think our game really got elevated because we took what he was really good at and what I was really good at. And then we started mastering the side of it that comes, sorry, my beer. (laughs) Yeah. From, uh, from the yeast side of it, um, looking at the water chemistry and profiles, things like that, that we didn't do early on. And as you implement these techniques and you learn about them, I mean, your beer can go from pretty good to really good to great. And it's a matter of just learning those things. Well, it's, it's interesting to me to, you know, as a brewery goes to not only watch them kind of figure some of that stuff out, but watch them take these different personality types too and figure out how to, how to let each of them kind of shine in the right spot and then work together. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's fascinating to me and not everybody's good at it. There are places that have torn themselves apart because of the, the butting of heads. Absolutely. Do you guys have any butting of heads over stuff? Always. Yeah. It's part of doing business. Um, it's never bad. It's never something that we're all angry, but there's times where, you know, someone's got a strong opinion here and another person's got a strong opinion there. Does at the end of the day, we have a system to resolve it. And that basically comes down to ownership decides. (laughs) (laughs) Does, Does the, does the family relationship of ever make that difficult? No, not really. It's, uh, we get asked that a lot, but me and him, and there's perfect example. Me and him were arguing about something. It was probably three weeks ago. And mom just happened to be in the background. <laughs> and when I left, she's like, you guys need to take some time apart. And dad's like, what are you talking about? That's like a normal Friday. We're just arguing our points. <laughs> and as soon as it's settled, and it always comes to a settlement because we're both logical people. And then once we, you know, come to an agreement, that's it. It's forget about it. It's over. You <laughs> does know? does no it harm. ever bleed over to the Thanksgiving table or something no, like that? Never. Or does it no, stay not here? Even a little bit? <laughs> I, uh, again, like, you know, my wife is a great example of it. I could never work with my wife. I love her to death, but dear God, we would just, we would kill each other, <laughs> let yeah. alone my parents. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of, yeah. I, I put a lot of that in, you know, John growing up with Dave Brewing at home right. and seeing all that process. I really, I think that they work well together on that side of the, yeah. the house because yeah. of that. Well, we were, when I was in college, we fixed up a few houses. When I was in high school, we bought he bought a house. We fixed it up. And, I mean, we've been working together ever since I was a little kid out outside doing projects. And, you know, it's just the way it's been since I can remember. Right. It works. <laughs> uh, let's drink another beer. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, this is- so Mango Habanero. All right. New England IPA. So spicy beers are not usually my thing. It does have a kick. <laughs> um, it's a little sweet with the mango, and then it finishes with a kick in the back of the throat for sure. <laughs> Personally, one of my favorites. Ooh, that's good. Oh, yeah, there it is. That's nice. Um, it's a neat kind of, I don't know that I've ever seen habanero in a New England IPA before, and it's, um, I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure it exists before I get the email. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's that softness of the, the beer with kind of that sharp kind of kick in the, in the back end. Uh, that's, that's good. It's a, it's a neat kind of juxtaposition between the two and the, the mango obviously kind of, um, continues with that soft fruity kind of, it's good beer. So recently with this one, uh, we had a, a restaurant reach out to us that their customers were talking about us and they said, Hey, we want that one. And so that's one of ours. It's out, out in the town. If you don't want to make the drive, it's kind of gaining a cult following. <laughs> I feel sorry for any place that has to clean the, uh, the tap line after that one. <laughs> you either love that beer or you hate it. That's there's not much in between on that. One. It's, it's, it's really good. I, I appreciate that beer a lot. I don't know that I could drink a whole bunch of them. <laughs> we, we get that a lot too. Yep. But it could go the other way too, where once you get one or two of them down, then you can't not keep drinking it all night. You just want more that's and more. You hit it. It's like yeah. wings. I mean, that's what I, what I love <laughs> yep. about really hot it. wings. It's like the first couple, it's like, this is really hot. And then after a minute, you're like, I just, I can't stop eating them. That's it. Yep. <laughs> that's fantastic. Um, so in the process of opening a brewery, is there anything that kind of caught you guys off guard um, that surprised you or did everything kind of work smooth for you? question (laughs) or if you want to if you want to stretch it out a little bit in the process of running a brewery for three years too is there any things that kind of caught you off guard that we did all like we had um somebody come in and build the outer structure and then we came in and did everything from insulation to electrical 
drywall. Um, drywall. Yeah. Um, I mean, we were out here on the back porch where we're sitting right now, and I remember all day just taking hard uh, oak and just planing it down to size to make our bar and our um, drip tray and all the trim you see around the doors and windows. That's all wood he had sitting out back that we planed down, finished ourselves, and hung up on the wall. So very much a hands-on group. But it sounds like that that process wasn't something that you guys were unfamiliar with. Not it wasn't like you were jumping in kind of right. blindly. You knew what you were getting into as far as right. construction. Um, but there's a whole different world once you open those doors to people and they start coming in. <laughs> I, think it's the, I think it's the thing. It's just like anything. You got a little extra space, and now uh, you don't, maybe you don't have enough parking. And so we had to, you know, cut more trees and expand the parking. And then that's good. And then it's okay. You got more people coming in. Now you don't have the room inside. So then you got to add the tent, you know. So it's it's a constant, you know, uh, try to keep up that way. Right. So those those kind of things have been tough, I think. And I'm sure there's going to be several things once you guys are doing your own food that you have to figure out. The, oh, yeah. The staffing changes a lot at that point. And, um, right. <clears throat> one thing that I've been really surprised and impressed with is your ability to, to get a lot of great food trucks um, to not only drive out here, but to be consistent and to give people kind of that spot. You know, they, they, you know, driving, there are a lot of people that are driving past on their way home or, you know, um, you know, back from somewhere. Um, and to have that spot that you're driving past, you say, oh, there's a food truck there. That's way easier than, than trying to run into Wendy's or wherever else you have the option to right. run into. Um, it's in a lot of ways, it's very smart. <laughs> and I, I, you know, I don't know how much when you guys were planning this out that factored into it too, that, you know, this is not just a place for people to come and grab a beer. This is a place for people to go. And, you know, if you're, you said, if you're out on a Sunday with your family and you have to drive all the way in, into town to, to get something and then, uh, you know, get home and, and kids are hungry and all of a sudden, oh, there's, there's burgers. You know, we can stop right there really quick and dad can have a beer and drown a sorrows. And yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And I'd say a lot of it happened kind of organically over time. So what we decided early on when we first opened is one, we wanted to do everything ourselves just so we had a intimate understanding of the business. And also, um, we wanted to grow slowly. So we, built this out to keep the cost down. So that was good for our overhead. We didn't need a lot to survive early on. And we did everything from the brewing to tap room to like serving, you name it, uh, four owners. And I got to mention Jeff Duncan, our partner. He was instrumental in helping us out in the construction. And today he still works tons of hours and really helps us out a lot. And we didn't advertise. We never wanted to spend money on advertising. We just wanted to open up. We didn't want to be that busy when we first started. We wanted to get our, hone our craft in, really get the beers where we wanted. We still got crowds and we would have lines that we could barely deal with, but we kept it manageable and we just slowly kept growing from there. And the same with the food trucks. It, it was all local people that we could get and we didn't get a lot of people from the city. Now we got people driving an hour and a half. We got people from Columbus coming down because they come out here and they do so well. Yeah. I mean, it's again, you're not just, opening up in a, in a tap room where within, you know, a couple miles, there's, you know, how many restaurants like that doesn't, it's not the way it is out right here. You know, there's a lot of traffic that's driving past that they see that sign brewery and then they see a food truck. It's an opportunity. Just yeah. because they weren't planning on stopping doesn't mean they're not going to stop now. Right. Right. <laughs> that's exactly right. And yeah, we get that all the time. There were, it was probably a couple months ago. There's these guys coming from like Arizona or something. They were going to Baltimore this is the first brewery we've seen since, I don't know, they said some state all the way out west. And so they literally zipped it around and came in. They hung out, had a few beers. and I mean, it's we get that all the time. I mean, if you look, I mean, the other direction, east, uh, there's not really another brewery before Athens. (laughs) Jackson. (laughs) Jackson. Jackson. Is there one in Jackson? I mean, like, that's a good stretch with out that uh, I mean, when people are driving, they, they like to check out local breweries. That's a that's a thing. Yeah. Next stop, Jackie O's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Little fish. <laughs> Which is, I think, if you're coming this way, coming into town, I think Jackie O's is the first one. I think. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. have to look on a map, but um, 
what uh you know so as you guys do continue to grow because that's that's going to happen with a place like this as people figure out and you get those lines and you get people that are showing up on the weekends um as this grows how do you kind of manage that growth you talk about wanting to stay small to some extent how do you how do you keep that in check while still allowing um, it to fit the needs of the people that are uh, that are showing up. <laughs> How do you hold it back? I guess is, is the the question. Well, with distribution, that's pretty easy. Um, it, if we're not ready for taking on another account, we don't do it. Um, and there's a lot of pressure on a few. The one you're getting ready to try. I hate to say it, people, but it is <laughs> one of our best sellers, and it's a cider. It's not a beer. There is um, nothing wrong with that. Really, really well. And there's a lot of people that they come in just for that. Well, so. let's, let's go ahead and try that one. <coughs> I can't read what it, I just see. Cider. Red raspberry. Red raspberry. Um, so you guys from day one have kept cider on tap. The When, when you opened, um, it was also kind of in the middle of this um, pop in cider's popularity. And it's kind of waned a little bit as seltzer has taken over the world. Um, I think because of seltzer talk about the decision to keep making cider, to make it a, to make it a big, big part of who you guys are. Um, because I can't brew it fast enough. (laughs) Yeah. And not just that. It's it's not hard. It's really not a hard thing to do. And it, it's easy to get really high quality ingredients. And that's really where you got to start when it comes to good cider. Smells like straight up Kool-Aid. Yeah. It's a lot, (laughs) a lot of red raspberry puree and inside that. And we also are getting ready to add on a small little room back here just for more production in cider and wine. Oh yeah. That's good. That's (laughs) yeah. That that is really good. And close to 7%. So, I mean, that's good. (laughs) Yeah, and we find that it we're able to reach a wider demographic by not just saying we're going to do beer and beer only. So well, it really helps out with that. You know, I I get the um, the anger from craft beer drinkers to see these other things in their breweries. I get that, but you know, when you especially when you talk about a place like this where people are driving here, they are bringing their family with them. They're hanging out all day. It's not good customer service to not give them something to drink that they want. Mm-hmm. If people want to drink cider, if people want to drink seltzer, if people give it to them. Like yeah. if they're coming to your spot, you know, meet their needs. Um, yeah. And that's, we also have hard seltzer, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but it's something that he, funny story, Nate pushed for this quite a bit and we're like, ah, eh, we will. We don't want to give up the tap. We don't want to give up the tap. And so he decided to make a small little batch and we didn't know about it. <laughs> and so we found out and we uh, got some little nice little flavors and stuff to try with it. And it convinced us. And it, it it's not a big seller for us, but it's definitely so worth having. On you, guys are, you guys are doing one tap of just plain seltzer and then flavoring it afterwards. I think it's yes. the yep. right, right way to do it. And, yep. you know, it was really funny because I did, I brewed it. It was a Saturday or something that I was here by myself. I'm like, I just had questions and I'm, I'm one of those. I have to touch. I have mm-hmm. to, you know, I'm like, I have these questions. How's the yeast going to work? How's the sugar going to work? How, how are the flavors going to come out? Cause I trying the seltzers out in town. It's like, they just all have that mechanical flavor. Not all of them. I could make you a list off the air of the well, ones that are good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gay, but it at the time, when I was thinking about it, um, I was had just gone through marketing class at school, and you know, for five years, the top selling in the nation was seltzer. Like, why would we not try? Why would we not? You know, and there was a whole bunch of legal sides that they were like, right. "How are we going to sell it? How are we going to label it? How are what, how are we going to flavor it?" What? Are, and I'm just like, I need to know if I can brew it or not. Right. And so I just did it and kind of. You know, put it in our little one barrel fermenter and kind of hit it in the corner. And, <laughs> you know, Dave looked at it on Monday and was like, didn't say anything and walked away. And then Tuesday, he looked at it again and like, uh-oh, I'm in trouble now. And then <laughs> Wednesday, finally Wednesday, he's looking at it and he goes, I have questions. <laughs> Why? What are we doing? Why are we doing this? We can't do anything with it. 
I said, I just, I just need, to, I need to know these answers. I'll pay for the sugar. I just, I, I just need to know these answers. And here's, here's how much this costs to right. make. Yeah. It takes up one tap, and here's how fast it was done. And, and, and it yeah. was, and it was interesting because I, I didn't have all those, those. I, I blame it on extract, but I didn't have all those flavors that, right. those off flavors that I was getting in everything else. And then they're like, okay, well, how are we going to flavor it? So we made a couple sixtals of. I think mango flavoring and something else. And we're like, yeah, yeah, no, these don't, these don't work. Mm -hmm. And so then I'm like, well, why don't we just buy the squirts and do that afterwards and let people choose what they want. And then I went to jungle gyms like a week later after we decided that, (laughs) and they were doing the Mio squirts and their seltzer there. And I'm like, are you kidding me? (laughs) But you know what? I, I stand by it. I think it was, you know, a good choice for us to, because it is a market that somebody we have customers come in and drink it plain. I that, yeah. that's if I'm walking into a place and I want to try their seltzer and see what they're doing and I can get it plain. That's that's right where I'm going first yep. because I, I want to taste what they're doing with it because yeah. there are a lot of not awesome ones out there. And <laughs> I would say that I was one of the times I was afraid for my job. In <laughs> <laughs> uh, another and thing, you should have been. Uh, another thing that really pushed my decision to go ahead with it is we can't we still can't sell uh ciders on sundays so it's a local township law oh geez and we haven't been able to get the enough signatures and all that and can people come in on a saturday and pre-buy cider and then drink it on sunday I would not do that. I highly think it. I think it would be uh, curious about the legality of that. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, let's just go with no. Uh, there, I, I could do an entire episode on strange uh, liquor laws that exist around not just you know nationwide or statewide, but you start digging into some of those local areas like that that have dry laws and all kinds yeah. of goofy and people stuff. People are like, what? What does that mean? Well, it's technically wine that falls under the wine license. So no wine sales on Sunday. Well, ciders count. So and, and for anybody <laughs> that doesn't. So, you know, there, there, you know, the way the liquor law is written right now in Ohio, you can't sell wine at all on Sundays unless you are able to get this other little license, which from what I understand had to be voted in by all of these localities um, and then you have to buy this other license and pay extra money yeah. to be able to sell on, on Sundays. Yeah, the wine license is really, really cheap. But if you want to buy it, if you want to sell it on Sundays, it's like six or seven times what it costs for the rest of the week. It's, it's just insane. The- it's insane. The OCBA is working on, they had a, a bill introduced, and this was before COVID, that was supposed to just take care of all those little idiosyncrasies in right. that law and square that up. And so we were kind of waiting on that. That's why we just, we were going to put it on the local ballot. And when you get it on the local ballot, it has to be specifically for your location. So it's on the bill and it says, or it's on the ballot. And it's, you know, Sons of Toil is allowed on Sunday. It's good marketing too. Yeah. Well, that's true. That's true. I hadn't (laughs) thought of it that way. Votes seize your name. (laughs) Maybe this fall. Um, When, uh, when people do come out here for the first time, do you get a lot of people that are kind of that are caught off guard by what this is? Or do people come out here and they already know exactly what they're walking into because they've heard about it? I would say absolutely both. There's a lot of people that wander in here and they're like, is this open to the public? What's going on in here? And they, they don't even have a clue. Where's your tomato plants? Yeah. <laughs> and then... Our, our bartenders or beer tenders, they do a fantastic job of bringing them up. And then, hey, this is our board. This is what we offer. This is what we do. Everything's brewed on site. They'll give them a little sample of something if they're interested. And they really get them involved in the just the, how much we have to offer in right. terms of different drinks and things like that. So they do an excellent job. I can't say enough about how well they do for I th- us. I think the most recent guy that I talked to out <clears throat> in the parking lot was, do you guys repair cars here? <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if you buy enough pints and park your yeah. car on back, we yeah. might we might look at it. <laughs> um, I mean, it's still like even even for me knowing you know what you guys are and preaching it as much as I can to anybody that'll listen. Um, still, like when I come here, it still catches me off guard at how great this place is, and that. I, I don't know if that's some kind of uh, fault on my part for you know not already like really knowing or if it's a, a 
sign of you guys doing something really great that it uh, it does surprise me every time. Could be both. <laughs> As you said before, there's 70 places you got to get to. And if you do one a week, it's hard to do them all right, and, right. and get back. So. Um, as you guys do kind of grow into, you, you mentioned before, you guys are adding food. Um, number one, what kind of food are we looking at when this uh, opens up? Uh, we're going to start real simple um, at first and just do some appetizers, dips, things like that with some flatbreads. Um, we're going to add in some maybe some gourmet hot dogs and hopefully I get a wing program going after a while. But speaking my language, just like I said <laughs> with the, the business from the very beginning, we're still going to have food trucks on the weekends. We're only going to have our food during the week when we're open. We're going to start small and slow and have a smaller offering and build into it and really make sure we're a hundred percent behind our product before we just throw it out there in front of everybody, you know? Right. I, I think it's exciting to, uh, to, again, to see how you keep dialing in this idea of it becoming a, uh, a real destination for people that, uh, it, makes more and more sense to uh, to jump in the car and, and make that hour drive. <laughs> you know, I want to go back to your last question about whether or not it's you or just, you know, underestimating the place in general. And we've had a lot of comments, a lot of reviews on Facebook, even TripAdvisor. We got a few reviews and we've joked about it that I think a lot of times people have an expectation yeah. that's a lot lower because of where we're at. And I've even read a review where it's like, oh, we got to drive all the way out to the country. The place is probably going to suck and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then they show up and maybe it's because their expectations are down here that it, it just surpasses them by so much because they are expecting this. Well, I, but we've actually seen reviews that say exactly that. <laughs> I think, you know, going back to talking about Athens and Jackie O's and Little Fish and Devil's Kettle, um, I think that's part of what makes a trip out there so fantastic is it's... It's a small college town. They shouldn't have, you know, three incredible breweries and a, and a great, there's a cidery out there. Like that shouldn't exist mm-hmm. out there yet. It does. it does. And every time you go there and every time you walk in, it catches you off guard. You're like, Oh my God, like, how does this, how is this here? Like how, how did this happen? How did this, um, how did this become this, this spot with this, this really great scene happening? And, um, I, I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> it just always seems to catch you off guard. I, I just got to say, people, if you have not been to Athens, oh, dear God. you got to go and stop at Sons of Toil on your way That's through. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it, uh, yeah. It's, it's going to be a long drive afterwards to so stop and have have a beer. And yeah. hopefully by the time that uh, you're making that drive, you can have some food and, uh, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. make your drive out there. And, and with that drive, I've, I've noticed during the COVID um shut down and everything that people were making the longer drives and they were talking about, Oh, well, we were from the West side and you know, we don't make it out here. And it's like, okay. And so I've seen a few of those people come back. So I'm not yeah. right. Yeah, and there's people that come out that it's, there's a certain beer we have that they just don't can't find it anywhere else. And they just love it. And they tell us they come out every other week just to get the pineapple heffy or just to get the mango habanero or whatever it is. And it's like, if we let that beer go away, we probably never see these people again. So we got to be careful with some of those beers. If we can kind of shift gears a little bit and talk about kind of craft beer overall, or even Cincinnati craft beer overall, what are, what are some of the things that you guys are seeing? I mean, I know that you're not in the, the middle of the, uh, the craziness being, you know, kind of out here, not in town, but, um, what are some of the things you're seeing that get you excited about where craft beer is going or kind of on the flip side too? What, what, what are you seeing that you may not like as much? I'll start the, the places that I have been lately. I've noticed that I've seen quality increase at a lot of places. Um, and I don't know if that's just the competition ramping up and people, if your beer is not good enough, people aren't going to show up. Doesn't matter how cool your tap room is or where you're located. I think some credit has to go to Cincinnati State too, sprinkling absolutely new brewers out into the, uh, the community. Yeah, we. I mean, I like to talk about one of my classes that we had 24 students, two different lab days, and one day I was standing there at Rheingeist while we're doing lab work, and I'm looking. I'm like, all 12 of us are working at different breweries. And I'm pretty sure the other half was the same way. Yeah. And, you know, I can I can go to a brewery and be like, hey, so-and-so here yet? Or, they, you know, um, 
March 1st, I talked to Brian, their head brewer, all the time about, hey, I have a question on this. I have a question on that. And I can reach out to any one of my fellow students for that. And it's it's a great community. Yeah, the, the craft beer community is the best in terms of a business community. It's funny because I work one week downtown. My old job, I still do environmental consulting. And I was wearing a shirt from another brewery. And the owner comes in. He's like, are you advertising for a competitor? I'm like... <laughs> I mean, if you put it like that, but that's just the way we roll. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, uh, Absolutely, I am. I don't know that there's a lot of industries that are like that no. where there is still that camaraderie. And it's it's changed a little bit over the years. That's another one of those things that I think COVID has uh, improved a little bit is that people kind of um, dialed back into this. We're kind of in this together in a bigger kind of picture thing. And, um, maybe it's brought some of that camaraderie back a little bit that maybe was waning. <laughs> yeah. I'd say the tap room scene is a really big part of it. When you have that, this many tap rooms with this many brewers and people that are passionate about beer, you start coming up with all these wild different concepts. And a lot of them are really, really good. And then you start noticing the regional people start stepping up their game and they start getting a little more creative with their stuff also. And I think everybody wins in that process. What are some of the things that uh, maybe make you a little nervous about craft beer? That's a good question. Aside from seltzer. (laughs) (laughs) Anybody have anything? I'm nervous about craft beer. I didn't, you know, I, I look at it as educational. I'm like, how can I educate John off this corner to try this beer, you know? And well, and so going off of that, that's, you know, not to pick on seltzer because I I recognize that it's a valid product and it's important and yada, yada, yada. Um, Watch my video on a, on seltzer festival. Uh, Maybe you'll understand a little bit, but you know, when people used to walk into a tap room and they would walk up to the bar and be like, man, I really don't like beer but all my friends are here. What, what can I drink? It wasn't, Oh, I got a seltzer for you. Here you go. And slide across the bar and then they're gone. It was this, this moment to, this is exciting. Try this, try this, try this. And I'm seeing some of that go away as, as there are other products, you know, that, uh, that people have the, the choice with, mm-hmm. um, not that that's a fear though, because it's still, it is, you know, it's, 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 in some ways growing the industry. I don't know. I always fear the saturation point. Um, At a certain point, there's going to be too many brewers. I don't think we're there yet. I honestly not sure we're even close. And a lot of that depends on what Nate was saying is you look at how many people drink beer in America and the percentage of them that drink good beer versus beer that we produce massively and water down. Um, the, the majority of people still drink the, the latter of the two. And I think over time, hopefully, if that percentage keeps moving towards tap rooms and regional breweries instead of national worldwide breweries, I don't, I don't think that saturation point's even close. So you got to see how that plays out. Sat- to, it's kind of funny on the saturation point. I, I spent a year in Portland, Oregon, and 110 breweries in a 80-mile radius. Yeah. I mean, you just walk a block and you're at another brewery. And even those guys were talking to each other, working together. Oh, hey, go try this one. If you don't like our beer, mm-hmm. go try this one. And it was, you know. It- here's here's the weird part with that. There's there's two different sides to this that, that make me nervous. Um, not that we won't get new tap rooms, but um, how many people in those tap rooms are going to be drinking seltzer versus beer, number one. And then on the other side, how many of those tap rooms are actual local tap rooms versus a platform or a brew dog or a West sixth or whoever else it might be coming into a city and saying, Oh, we're, we're local too. here. Come, come. Not that's wrong. And you know, some of those guys have some great beer. <laughs> I won't, won't name the ones that, that I'm not a fan of, but platform, uh, you're dead to me. <laughs> But, but Dude, um, I look at it. Do they brew on site? Unless you want to sponsor the show, yeah. then please give me a call. Yeah. I walk in and, hey, let me see the brew setup. But see, that's and, that's the thing. They, they don't. Yeah. None of then, those then, that I mentioned and, brew on, right. on and site so then, or will brew on well, site. Well, so then I look at it and I'm like, okay, yeah, it's a platform's kind of a local beer, but it's not brewed on site. Why, you know, 
how am I going to talk to the brewer? But that, if, that's who I like to talk if to. If I walk into that tap room and I ask all the people sitting there, is this a brewery? How many people say yes? And how many people are like, ah, well, kind of. Uh, don't and, that's really. where the, and that's where the education comes in. Uh, I, <laughs> it makes me nervous <laughs> seeing, I, seeing I, that no, shift I, that, happen. I, I get that. That, that get is that. a good it's, and, and not that it's a, again, not that it's a bad thing. I think that we can have a very healthy community with places like that existing and local tap rooms. I just, I hope that people understand the difference, the difference. between them and yep. are, are okay with it. Not that I wouldn't sit down at platform and have a beer. Not that I'm like it's, but it's different. And uh, yeah. you know the the latest numbers that came through on on, on growth was that. Um, you know, craft beer is growing a little bit, but imports were growing more than anything else. Seltzer obviously still growing, you know, massively. It's a, it's a weird time for, for beer. Yeah. And I agree with you. I think the purists, the, the beer geeks, like, you know, that we know, uh, I think they would take exception to those tap rooms. That's not brewed on site. And I think they do know the difference. When they walk in, that's a that's something they're going to look for, right. but not everybody. And eventually, you know, where does at what point does it get to the point where that does affect these people that are brewing on site and that are the purists? You know, right? Is this the plain seltzer sitting in front of that me? Is, is the this plain for me? Seltzer sitting right. In front Should of I try it on the show? Yeah, and have, tell you have if at it's it. a, sure. Tell you if it's not good. You could do it on the show. <laughs> Won't hurt my feelings. No, it's good. It's nice. It's clean. It's fizzy. Exactly what it's supposed to be. <laughs> yeah. It's a hard seltzer. <laughs> it's, it's so strange to me because like I, you know, during the day, like when I'm at work, I drink a ton of, of um, seltzer, not hard seltzer, just seltzer. I drink bubbly, like the, the Pepsi, you know, lime bubbly. I drink it like it's, like it's water. <laughs> yeah. I, I drink so much of it and yet I can't ever find seltzer that satisfies whatever that thing is that makes me enjoy that so much. It's because there's always something else going on in it. Like I, I, I don't know why it's so difficult to grasp that you just want to make something that's really clean, fizzy and has some kind of artificial flavor. In it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's all I need. Um, is there anything that you guys want people to know about sons of toil that you think they don't know right now? Just want you to know we got good beer. I mean, that's 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 what it's all about, right? You, you know what's crazy? Like, that is the one thing that I think people actually know about you guys. You guys are really far away, and you make good beer. <laughs> when, okay. You know, okay. when that's you look good. at the 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 Facebook groups, um, which are notoriously kind of shitholes of uh, of negativity, sometimes uh, people don't talk bad about you guys which is impressive everybody yeah, we, we whenever you guys come up people are like oh my god you should you guys have to go there this place is incredible and and it, the worst thing that somebody's going to say is oh yeah I, I went there it's really far away but the beer was great yeah <laughs> it's like that is the two things people know <laughs> i would say the other thing that a lot of people especially from the city might not know about us is the stuff we try and do locally um, especially with our farmers market we got people come out here every Saturday. Our vendor list keeps growing weekly. And uh, we're going to be doing it all summer into the fall. Probably even we did it all the way up through Christmas doing like craft shows and stuff. And uh, we have a lot of fun. We have a lot of business out here Saturday mornings. And it's all local people doing local crafts. We got local meat from Hillsborough, um, from Georgetown. Same guys that grow some of our local hops. Uh, they take all our grain, they feed it to their cattle. So there's a nice. And they come back here and sell the beef. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's the circle of life. <laughs> I will I will be very pleased when I can come in here one day and get a burger that is made from one of those cows that <laughs> ate the grain and <laughs> made the beer. Yeah. For yeah. me, something that people should know is come out here not thinking you're coming out to the sticks, thinking you're coming out here to relax and just sit down and enjoy the yard and have a couple beers. It's it's so every, every Sunday, my wife's family lives up near Oxford and every single Sunday, well, most Sundays we drive up there and just hang out all day. Mm -hmm. We, you know, turn your phone off cause you don't get reception 
sit, have a couple beers, have a cigar, just sit and just don't do anything. And like that is that feeling is the exact same feeling that I get when I'm when I'm here. And if this can provide that for people, uh, it fills a need that I think that nobody else is really doing right now. Mount Carmel comes pretty close some days, but yeah. um, your phone still works really good there. And it's, you still <laughs> feel like you're close to home. There's <laughs> just that feeling of like um, getting away without really being away, I think is something that everybody needs from yeah. time to time. And you guys provide that if you, if you do live, you know, Again, on the other side of the universe. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, I, I work downtown still, so I drive down to Oakley. Um, it, about 45 minutes. You've become minutes. numb to the drive is what you're yeah, saying. I'm yeah, I'm pretty much numb yeah. to the drive. Yeah, it's not bad, people. Come I, on. I live in Eastgate, and I'm numb to the drive. I just get in the car, and it goes where it needs to go. Right. <laughs> um, that about does it, guys. That's a, that's a good show. I, uh, I really hope that people people come out here and get what this place is and what it, what, how it fits into this bigger picture of what Cincinnati beer is, because you can't open a place like this in OTR or anywhere over there. Like you just, it does, it can't exist. It won't exist. And that um, special personality of what this place is, is very important. So thank you for enabling that to exist. Hey, thanks for coming out. We appreciate you doing what you do, man. Well, thank you. And, Drive out here, guys. Just make the drive. It's not that bad. <laughs> Especially now that you know that there is food coming, you can convince your spouse and um, make a weekend out of it. Come, we'll make a make a weekend day out of it and come hang out with the family. <laughs> There's a ton of space. If you're still a little COVID terrified, this is the perfect place to come because you can kind of sequester yourself in a corner of the uh, the yard, I guess, and uh, uh, socially distance. I hate COVID. We'll get there. <laughs> Cincy Brewcast, the voice of Cincy Craft. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>